Well, good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. Welcome to the series Calling. If you missed out last week, we kicked off with a series going through Ephesians. And so we don't just want to hear the Word. We don't want to just contemplate what the Bible says. We want to be doers of the Word. Turn to your neighbor and say, be a doer. Let them know, be a doer, be a doer. We, we don't just hear this. We don't just listen. And when we walk out of these doors, there is work to do. There is a life to be lived. There is obedience to follow. And so I hope Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 is going to be some of your favorite chapters in all of the Bible. When we're looking at calling, we want to clarify, calling is not for some, it's for every believer. Every believer is called. There's a calling on every believer's life. The question is, have you discovered what God's vision is for you? It's one thing to know that God has a calling generically on your life. It's very different, very different to discover what the specifics are. I don't know of a better place to go to be able to step-by-step step walk through what is the calling for every believer. Well, the second half of Ephesians is saturated with clarity of discovering God's vision for your life. Just give me a list of do's and don'ts. I just want the fast track of a checklist so that I can feel like I'm a better person, more moral, closer to God. <clears throat> wrong, 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 wrong. If we bypass the relationship, if we bypass the absolute things that have been done to us and for us, then we race off into religion and we're busybodies doing a lot of churchy things. For some of us, we learned Christianese, we learned the lingo, we showed up to the right places at the right time, but yet inside, we don't know who we are. We are searching for our identity still, even though we're doing religious activity. Somebody say that's a problem. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. We could go to church for years and years and still be absolutely clueless as to what direction we're going and who we really are. And if we're shopping around for our identity, God wants to bring clarity right to the confusion. And so maybe you're there today. I don't know who God is with clarity. I don't know really who I am. I don't know my purpose in life. Well, Ephesians is going to help us. And this is where we started with conviction. Not just with somebody told me once, but I have deep heart level conviction about these truths. I believe it and I'm not wavering. I have strong footing and I'm not going to slip and slide throughout my life. My heels are dug in. God said it. I believe it. I am confident in it. And I'm going to live it out to my dying breath. That changes things in your heart. It changes things in your attitude and in your mind when you know that you are walking not just, last week we looked at this, not just with personal convictions, not just personal convictions. I think you have some, some notes from last week that we go from identity to activity and your position to your practice, answering the question, who am I? to now, what do I do? And we need personal conviction. Last week, here was the five. Personal conviction, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. In other words, bearing with one another. And then love. But it's one thing to have personal convictions. Everybody ready for today? Today's message, we're going to be looking at this. The call to unity. We are called. You are called to unity. But it's got to go beyond just your personal convictions we got to ask the question, what are our shared convictions? What are the things that 
that make us the church? What are the convictions that we should have that we are part of the family, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves? I don't know about you, but I think the easy things are to start looking at it through a personal lens. We get stuck in this place of what do we believe? What are the non-negotiables that, that we hold to as a church? And in 2024, we're not living in an awesome year. Okay, As far as convictions, we're living in a year of well, that's personal. Everything's personal. You believe what you want to believe and then you keep it to yourself. And even in the church, you're not allowed to tell people in the church what we believe. It's up to them. They can believe whatever they want to. Well, could we say this? There is no we unless we believe something together. There is no unity unless there are things that unite us. We have a lot of facade of unity but to agree to disagree is not unity. It's passivity. We need to be actively engaged in the things that we hold to as convictions. So we have seven, okay? Not, not my ideas. I didn't sit around all week. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I didn't sit around all week in my office and say, let me create a list. I just want to create a list of some things that I think we should have convictions about. Wow, that's lame, right? Do you believe pastors do that? You bet. They do it every week. What are some creative things that I could come up with? What are some ideas? What are the things that I'm really passionate about? And I'll share that. You know what's awesome? When I say, God, what did you say? And I'm just going to say what you said. And then we're all going to agree with you because you're God and we're not. Do you think that's better? Man, so much better. We're going to finish verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. If you're there, say ready. I hope you are. We got through three verses last week. Whew! It was like a lot of work, okay? I mean, it was easy for y'all because you're just sitting back and relaxing, but this is hard work to, to unpack. We're going to be looking at verses 4, 5, and 6. We started with 1, 2, and 3. It's like, what's taking so long? Just so much goodness, right? When there's goodness there, you want to slow down. You want to savor the flavor every step of the way. Here we go. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Walking in unity requires shared convictions. Shared convictions. So today we're looking at one big point, all right? But it has seven subpoints, okay? We are not going to park long on any of them. Somebody say praise God. All right, all right. We're we're going to be moving through quickly, all right? So I ne- I need your help to be able to stay with me, okay? Stay with me. First one, if you want to jot this down, we belong to one body. We belong to one body. This is an image used throughout the New Testament describing God's people are like body parts and we can't function separately. We need to be together. We're connected. We're interrelated. We are one body. And right there in verse 4, how does it start off? It's like, man, preacher ain't even making this stuff up. There is one body. I know I got really creative with, with the list here because it's just right there in the text. There is one body. We need to recognize and embrace this. We embrace unity, real unity. We embrace it in the right way. We recognize that all believers, regardless of their backgrounds or differences, are part of the same body of Christ. Every person that walks into a Bible-believing church should be blown away by the fact that there is such diversity when they walk in that they are confused as to how that kind of group of diverse people can even get along. And there's one answer. We are Jesus people. We are a weird people. We are a strange people. We are a people that shouldn't even like each other very much, but we love each other supernaturally. We are so different 
but yet we are made to be one. We are a body functioning. We are interdependent. In a day where everybody is saying, be independent. You need to be independent. Trust no one. Everybody's going to use you and abuse you. You're going to get hurt. And some of us have made a vow and said, I will never get hurt again. And you have set up precautionary measures to ensure that you never depend on another human being again and you feel really good about it. But God doesn't. God is saddened by our sense of autonomy, our sense of hyper-individualism, our sense of, I am going to do it myself. I'm going to do it my way. We have generations that have risen up and said, if you're going to be a real man, you do it alone. If you are not going to get hurt and you're going to be a real woman, then you got to go it alone and be independent. And Satan says, yeah, yeah. And God says, we're one body. He made us to be interdependent. We need each other from the top all the way down. Nobody can look at each other and say, I don't have any need of you. I don't really need you in my life. Nobody can say that to another believer in a local gathering. Every person, heartfelt conviction is this. We are one body. We need each other. It doesn't matter what our background is. There are things that unite us that are so much stronger than the things that divide us. If we would have conviction that that's true, and God says, it is. So would you do this? Would you strive to maintain unity in your relationships with other believers? And I put a question at the end of every one. Do you see it there? There's a, there's a question. And again, I am giving you all of my notes up front. You're like, why is there so many notes? Man, there's a lot to read. It's because I love you so much that I want you to be able to take this home and say, what did he say? I missed that point. No, you didn't. It's written right there. It may be small. You might need a magnifying glass, but it's right there for you to take home and say, maybe this week I could ask a question a day, all week long. And here's your first question. Why are people resistant to becoming members of a church? Can we get personal? Why am I so resistant to being a committed member of a local church? Can I, can I give you some ideas? I, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Okay? Well, then it's like, well, then don't follow Jesus because that guy's always telling you what to do. Okay? I don't want anybody holding me accountable for things that I'm not really in for. And so I really am not interested in committing myself to a group of people that might disagree with me. I really am not into membership because I have a lot of theological arguments on why membership is not even in the Bible. Blah, 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 blah. We can argue with the Bible to disprove the Bible. That's a problem. If your theology is leading you into disobedience, you have a really bad theology. Okay. So never before have we lived in a day of the arguments of why I don't have to obey Scripture and I have Scripture to back it up. It's exhausting. Not necessarily for leaders of churches. It's got to be exhausting for you because it takes a lot of work to try to disprove what Scripture makes really, really clear. So why am I not a member? Why am I not a committed member? Why am I not willing to say I'm all in? You have to answer for yourself, right? I could give you a whole list of, of reasons, right? I, I, I want option B. I want a back door. I want a just-in-case. I don't want to get trapped or stuck. I don't want to accidentally join a cult. Uh, I was just in Nigeria for a few weeks, and one of the guys on our team said as part of his testimony he said i accidentally joined a cult once 
I said, ooh, that's a good story. So we spent some time over lunch talking about how he was lured into a commitment to a Bible study at first, and then there was so much community, and it felt so real and so authentic until there were certain teachings that started getting emphasized, and then he's like, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. And then he found out, ah! like he researched it on Google and found out that he almost joined a cult. And he's like, that's, that's not what it felt like at the beginning, but that's what it felt like at the end. And you know what he was tempted to do? I can't trust any organized religion because I might accidentally join a cult. We're, we get pretty fired up about being honest up front. This is what we believe. And this is what our expectations are of you as a member and us as leaders. And it brings clarity at the front end so there's no surprises in the back. So if some of your hesitation is, is there like fine print somewhere that I'm like signing up for something I don't know? And we're like, no, we're just going to be honest with you up front. And you got to look at the Bible and you got to see, yep, it's right there. I, I see it. I see what, what God has said about being a member of the body. And it's got to be more than words. There's got to be some kind of commitment to say, I'm in. I'm all in. Because if I don't know you're a member, I don't know that I'm responsible for you as a pastor. Does that make sense? And if you visit a lot, I don't know what to do with frequent visitors that stick around for a couple decades. If you're just always visiting my my house, but you're not part of the family, I just don't know what to do with you, right? Either we adopt you or we ask you to like stop hanging around, right? Stop eating all the food. So it just it brings a lot of blurry confusion as to where are you, right? Where where do you belong in this commitment thing? Are you part of the family? You're not part of the family. So membership. Some of us are like yuck and others are like woo who. Okay. And rarely is there anybody in between. You need to answer that. We're going through that process of renewing clarity of membership. And so this is a perfect time to jump in and become a member. Find out before what we believe and what we are asking and what we are providing so that there's clarity of membership and no confusion. Everybody clear on that? Good. How about this? Number two, we are led by, oh, this is such good news. We are led by one spirit. We are not led by a bunch of spirits. We are not led by our emotions. We are not led by uh, the latest news. We are led by the Holy Spirit, the one spirit, the spirit of God. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit. And so here's the bottom line. Live in the spirit. Live by the spirit. Live walking in the Spirit. For some of us that are a little confused about the Holy Spirit, we would just want to be really simple that the moment that you became a Christian, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and entered and moved in, and He's not leaving. He became a permanent resident. He came in to lead you, to guide you, to convict you of wrong, to encourage you to do the right, to be able to open your eyes to see what God is saying in His Word. And there is no way that you can have the Holy Spirit and yet continue on in sin and say, I don't know, I just don't feel bad about doing wrong. That means you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you can do that year after year after year, you've got to ask, am I a Christian? Because if I'm a Christian, I feel bad when I do bad. And if there's nothing inside of you to motivate you to be able to do the right thing. I just don't like doing the right thing. I have no desire to do the right thing. Then you have to ask, do I have the Holy Spirit? Here's a big one. If I don't have a different attitude and heart posture towards other Christians than I did before, you have to ask, am I living by the Spirit? Because if the Spirit's in you and the Spirit's in me, 
even if we really don't like each other, there's something drawing us to each other because we have one Spirit. And the Spirit's not in conflict. The Spirit draws together those that are His. So you have to ask the question, am I living by the Spirit? Because that's what we're united around. There is one Spirit and He dwells in every believer. The Holy Spirit is our guide, our comforter. Seek to be led by the Spirit in your daily life, making decisions that honor God and align with His will. Here is your question. Okay, question number two. If you're ready, say ready. Okay, here's the question. Do you listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking and poking and prodding and alerting you and warning you and trying to get your attention, if you ignore the Holy Spirit and ignore the Holy Spirit and ignore the Holy Spirit, do you believe that there is a, a way to suppress, to be able to, to dump a bucket of cold water on the fire of the Spirit in your life? Do you believe that? Yes. And many of us live in a way of, I know I should, but I know I should, but I know God's telling me, but I have a lot of reasons why. What is that for you? Maybe even right now during the season, God is telling me, but I'm not willing to listen i'm not willing to obey we're living in a culture where everything goes in relationships if you're a christian you can't be in a relationship with someone the way that you used to if there is no conviction of we went too far and went too far and then went way too far and i know that i shouldn't be with him or with her but i'm going to do it anyway if you're not exhausted inside wrestling with god and saying i don't know i think it's fine I think God just wants me to be happy. He wants me to feel loved. Then you have to ask, is the Holy Spirit living in you? And is there conviction? Is there promptings that you're obeying? Or are you pushing away? Shh! God! Not right now! I'm in the middle of having my sinful thing. Can you please be quiet? Right? Can we talk later? I'm going to plan and prepare to sin right now and I don't need you yapping in my ear. If you do that long enough, some dangerous things happen. And that's for a different message, a different day. But are you listening? Are you sensitive? Are you hearing and doing? And again, not because others are pressuring you, but because there's something happening inside of you of, ugh, I can't do that anymore. My friend that almost joined a cult, I said, well, what happened after you left the cult? He said, I got saved. I got really, really saved. But I thought I was saved when I was young. But then I feel like I got sick. Can, can you get saved a second time? And I said, well, describe your situation. He said, four years ago, I all of a sudden gave my life to Christ in a way that was pretty extreme. It wasn't like it was when I was a kid and I prayed the prayer and I, I got dunked and a bunch of people you know, told me all the things I should and shouldn't do. And I went to church, but I was still having sex, sleeping around, wasn't married, and I didn't feel bad about it. And I said, okay, so did that change? He said, yeah, I heard about the Holy Spirit, but four years ago, I experienced the Holy Spirit. He said, well, what was your experience like? He said, I couldn't even jaywalk without feeling sick to my stomach. And I said, is that different? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I was trying to have sex with a, a woman of, from every ethnicity and I kept a scorecard. And now I can't jaywalk without being convicted. And I said, that sounds like change to me. He's like, you better believe it. I said, that's because you got saved. He's like, so what was up with the church thing? I said, I don't know. We can do church pretty well without the Holy Spirit, can't we? 
without being converted, without being born again, we can keep showing up to church and keep sinning and not feel shame or guilt. And he's like, I can't do that anymore. And I said, that's because you're born again. You have the Holy Spirit. And he's like, and I'm scared to disobey. I'm scared to not say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I said, you should be. Keep going. And God's calling him to be a missionary. All of a sudden, he's saying yes. After a couple years, God's saying a big yes is going to be told out of his mouth where he kept saying, no, my way, my way, my way. Because he has full surrender, full freedom in his life because he's listening to the promptings, being led by the Spirit. Somebody say, that's awesome. And it's awesome to hear other people's stories. Do you know what's better? For you to have that story. For that to be your testimony. For you to be able to share with others, everything changed. When I, led, when I was led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, do you listen? Do you listen? Number three, number three, here we go. We are confident in one hope. We're confident in one hope. There's one hope. Verse four. There's one body and one spirit, praise God, that unites us. We are together as His body by His Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Do you believe that if you are called by God, you're a follower of Jesus, that there is hope you didn't have before? The calling on your life provides hope when you walk in your calling. And we are living with an epidemic of hopelessness. Are you sensing that? Our culture is a culture of death and darkness and hopelessness. And it's not just out there, it's in the church. Are you feeling that? Within the church, there is suicidal thoughts and there is desperation. There is despair and depression. And I I wonder if a piece of it is if we're not walking in the calling that God has on our life, if we have taken a left when He said take a right, the result in our lives should be hopelessness. Are you tracking with me? If I, if I take a left down the path of not my calling, but my desire, it should lead to an emptiness of why, why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel so abandoned? Why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel that there's no hope for my future? Why is everything dark? Why do I feel like just giving up? And the reality is, the further you go down the path away from the calling that's on your life, the more you should feel that way. I think sometimes we want to be quick to, no, no, think positive thoughts. No, quickly. You can stay living the disobedient life that you're living, but you just need to tag some Scripture on it. You just need to think positive thoughts because God doesn't judge you and He's always for you and He affirms you and His grace is good. And I think we need to have conversations of you're despairing because you are running away from hope. And the further away you get from the God of all hope, the more hopelessness your life becomes. Are you tracking with me? We need to point people to Jesus. We need to lead them to repentance to come back to their calling. The calling of holiness on their life. The calling of obedience to King Jesus. And all of a sudden, not all the feels go away. But something shifts where the light at the end of the tunnel is there and it wasn't before. God wants to bless, but He can't bless disobedient, defiant, straying, and wandering. He brings a weight that's on us to lead us back. I should feel empty if I am not filled up with God. I should feel empty when I'm walking away from Him and rejecting Him. 
Hold on to hope. Here it is. I think you have this written down. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. It's not in a relationship. It's not financial. It's not in education. It's not in more people, more families, more parties, more friends, more likes. Our hope is in Christ. It's in Christ. Somebody say it with me. My hope is in? It's in Christ. It's in Christ alone. And after you're done shopping around all that the world has to offer, I hope you would just come to a place where you'd say, it's always been Christ. It was always Jesus. Nothing is going to satisfy. Why do I keep looking everywhere else We have a confident hope. We're confident in this. Christ is our hope. Eternal life He promises. In challenging times, remember this hope and let it encourage and sustain you. And could I add this? You need other people speaking those truths and calling you to come closer in fellowship that leads away from that hopelessness into hope. The further you get down the path of isolation, individualism, the harder it is to come back home. But what if today? What if today's the day that you would say, I've been doing this on my own. I've been doing it by myself. I've been thinking that I'm just around the corner from a breakthrough. I'm just around the corner from finally experiencing what I am longing for. And God would say, turn around and come back. Turn around and come back home to His people. To be part of the body. To have an opportunity to confess and open up not just to God, but to others and say, I need hope and I'm lacking it. I need individuals that are hopeful in my life. So here's the question. What other things do people put their hope in? I wonder if this week you would just make it a little homework assignment. Can we say the H word? I know that we've tried to stay away from that, but this H word keeps coming back, right? We can talk about heaven and hell all day, but I know homework is a naughty Naughty word, all right? We try to stay away from it. In our household, children aren't allowed to say bored or homework, all right? It's just naughty, naughty, bad H word. But guess what? It changes the heart. It changes the life when you're able to say, all week long, I'm going to do the work. I'm actually going to journal. I'm going to get my Bible open. I'm going to write lists. And this is such a good question. As I look around in our culture, where do I see that people are shopping in all the wrong places for hope? And then what if you created a second column? Are you with me? And you said, where am I shopping around? Where am I constantly searching for hope in all the wrong places? Could we we tack this on? Are you prepared for this? I don't want want to blow you out of your seat. Maybe maybe seatbelts are appropriate. We get in trouble not necessarily with finding hope in all of the really, really bad places. We usually get in more trouble by trying to find our hope in good things that cannot deliver. Is it too much to ask that my children make me happy? Is it too much that my spouse would bring me hope? And Jesus would say, yes, yes. Because your family was never intended to provide you with hope. That's not their role in your life. It's the role of Jesus alone. Well, what about my job? I deserve to feel fulfilled in my job, don't I? Not necessarily. You can glorify God in a miserable job and be grateful, be thankful, and be content. You can. Because you're not putting your hope in your job. Can you live in a house that is way too small and decrepit for your likings and be satisfied? Yeah, if you're putting your hope in God and in eternity, 
Heaven's coming, baby. I don't care if there's holes in my floor. I got heaven. I'm living in a rickety tent and I'm not putting my hope in the here and now. What about my car? Well, when I get my second truck and then my third truck and my fourth truck, what, what if I get my truck totaled and I drive my little beater? My, my brother had a Chevelle and it had two holes in it. And in Wisconsin, when we drove, the snow wasn't just on the outside. It was so awesome. It was a full experience that you can only get at like Six Flags, right? Full experience of all of the elements. It's like five senses going on that as you're driving, you're going off the road and on the road and you're getting slapped in the face, right? With snow and you're going, I can be content even when I feel like I'm going to die every day to school because I'm not walking. Praise God. I wish that would have been my attitude growing up, but it was not, right? We can live through a lot of circumstances if we acknowledge my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. And some of the most powerful testimonies that we can share with people are everything's falling apart, everything's broken with my mind, my body, my job, my family, my marriage, my kids, and I'm not putting my hope in any of it. And it's awesome. Because I expect it all to fall apart because I'm in a sin-cursed world and I'm responding with my own sin and God is still my hope and He's not changing. That's the only thing that can unite us as a church to say, we're going for God. We're putting our hope in God no matter what. Amen? Amen? That was a good spot for an amen. Come on. Number four. Number four. We're following one king. We're following one king. Verse four. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse five. Verse five. One Lord. One Lord. And here's the bottom line. Submit to King Jesus. I don't know if you've done that, but today would be the day. We're only as united as a church as we are all submissive to our King. Because we can agree to disagree about a lot of things. But if some of us are saying, yes, Jesus, you're the boss of my life, and some of us are going, eh, questionable, still debating, still trying to tally whether he's worthy of my complete surrender, guess what? Division, not unity. The only way we can be united is if we are God's people under the rulership of Jesus. That makes all the difference. If we're able to look each other in the eye and say, are you obedient to the King? Are you following the King? Do you know His call on your life? Do you know His instructions in that relationship with that decision? I'm not telling you what I would do. I'm not giving you opinions and thoughts. I'm not sharing my past experience. I'm calling you to follow the King. Submit to His ways. Hear His voice. Listen and do it. How awesome of a church would we be if every single person is like, if the King says it, I'm doing it. Do you think that unity would be different among our church? Do you think conversations would be different if we're all like, I've already settled it. Jesus is not just worthy of being my Savior and forgiver and rescuer. He is also my king, my boss, my ruler, when he says it, I do it. If you are under the impression that being a Christian is just, I'm just trusting Jesus that he forgave me. When he was on the cross, he took all my sin, and now I'm going to heaven. If he is just your savior and not your king, then he doesn't want to be your savior unless he can be savior and king. He is either going to be all or nothing. He doesn't save 
for us to go and live however we want to. He saves for your submission. He owns you. If He purchased you with His blood, you're His. He's the boss. Has that been your story? And guess what? For most of us, that hasn't been our story. I prayed a prayer. I was forgiven. I felt cleansed. And then nobody discipled me. Nobody mentored me. Nobody walked with me. Nobody taught me all that Christ had commanded. I got the Great Commission. Thank you, Jay, bringing it, bringing it with the Great Commission. We love the Great Commission. We love making disciples. But we preach the whole Great Commission. What is it? Go and make disciples. People that weren't disciples are now disciples. What do they do next? What's the first step? Obedience. Obedience to what? To being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're done, right? What happens next? They need to be taught all that Christ commanded. Is that what it says? They need to be taught to obey all that Christ has commanded. We don't need to just have more information as followers of Jesus. We need the orders of submission and obedience as believers. If that never happened to you, then it's never too late. What if today, everybody with me? What if today you would just make a commitment and say, I don't know if I've been following Jesus as King, but as of today, if He tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to argue, fight, justify. If He's telling me I need to get out of that relationship because it doesn't honor God, I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to say yes. If He says stop hanging out with certain people, I'm going to say, okay. I'm not going to fight about that. If He says trust me with your finances, I'm done worrying. I'm not going to live there anymore. If He tells me that I need to be committed to His church and I need to serve in the church, I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to say, I'm all in. If He says I need to watch my mouth with anger and gossip and I need to stop and turn and repent, I need to say, okay. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start today. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be different. He says that the addiction that you're experiencing in private that nobody else knows about, today is the day that you say, I'm done. No more excuses. No more hiding. Jesus, if you're king, then submission and obedience is the norm for the rest of my life. And if it's not, then I'm getting other people involved to help me because he must be king if we're going to be united. Are you with me? You with me? Can you call Jesus king without surrendering control over to him? Anybody got an answer for that? Can you really call him king? Can you really call him king? You are my king. I just selectively listen to you. I call you king, but I don't obey you. What if this week could be a week where that question number four could be really, really helpful and allow God to be specific in your life? Everybody ready? Somebody say move on. Here we go. Number five, we are convinced of one faith. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one faith. Grow in faith. Do you believe that the starting point isn't the ending point? The starting point is just the beginning point. Do you believe that when the gun fired and the race started, that you don't just stand there and say, well, I'm in the race, right? No, you run. When the fire goes off when the gun explodes you start running and you don't stop until the finish line some of us we're pretty close to the end some of us don't realize it but we're close to the end and others we're just beginning a life of living by faith and we have a long ways to go so the question is are you growing not did you start 
but are you continuing? Only you can answer that, right? Only in the privacy of your, your own heart before God am I in a season of growing or am I stuck in my faith? There is one faith. Faith is not stagnant. Somebody say it's not that. It's not a stagnant faith. It's, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believed in the past. But grows as we walk with God. Seek to deepen your faith through prayer, reading the Bible, fellowship with other believers. Here's the question. What areas of doctrine are hardest for you to believe and why? And maybe you're newer to church, newer to Christianity, and you're like, I don't even know what doctrine means. Okay, so if that's your starting point, doctrine just means teaching. And there is a body, there is a composite of specific teachings that if you don't believe it, you are not an orthodox Christian. You are outside of the bounds. You are believing false doctrine. There are things that we hold to that are dear to us. In the next months, we are going to be spending some time around the tables. If you are not joining us for discipleship group on Sunday morning at 9, 9.15, be there. All right? And around the tables over the next months, we're actually going to be walking through what do we believe? What do we actually believe? And for some of us, we're like, I don't even know what I believe. I've heard a lot of things. I've been around. I've read a lot of things. Thank you, YouTube and podcast. Now more than ever, we're exposed to all kinds of thoughts about God and the Bible and about what we're supposed to believe and different perspectives. Wouldn't it be awesome if this year you could conclude 2024 and say, I know what my faith is. I know what I'm placing my faith in. I know the doctrine and the teaching that I'm holding to and I have conviction. Isn't that powerful? When an entire church is like, I know exactly what I believe and why I believe it and we're united in this. I can defend my faith. I know what I'm standing on. I'm not confused about subjects. So what subject for you maybe this year needs to be a focus of a deep dive of I need to get this figured out. Where do I stand on this? And I don't know what that issue is for you, but this is an awesome year to start asking questions of, I heard this and this. Which one's true? I grew up believing this, but now I'm hearing this. Is one wrong and one right? Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out together. Let's get answers instead of perpetual questions. Number six, number six, write this down. We profess our faith through, so here's a profession. Here is something that's coming out of us. Not just, I have my own personal private faith. I believe what I believe. But number six, we profess our faith through one baptism. One baptism. What is it about baptism that's so powerful? It's the first time that you go public and you proclaim what you believe and who you are loyal to. That your life was different before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ, and now how He's changing you. That there's a before and there's an after. And so one of the things that we're doing as a church is we're able to walk through writing out your personal testimony. Does everybody know what a testimony is? I think we, we know what testimonies are in the world, right? Police interview and say, you were an eyewitness. Tell me what you saw. And what do they write down? They write down their testimony of an event. I saw it firsthand. This is what I experienced. Well, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a testimony of, I didn't know Him, and then I met Him, and now I'm walking with Him. There was a life before Jesus when I was walking, doing my thing my way, and all of a sudden, He showed up, right? 
Jesus landed a big boulder in my life. Things change. Maybe for you it was subtle. For others, it's pretty drastic. There's something powerful about your first step of obedience is getting baptized, right? Like a drenched rat being drowned in a tub, right? Some of us, we experience that up here. It's part of the initiation into the church, right? Do I have to do the drowned rat thing? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to be part of the body and we're going to be united, that means you got to get dunked, right? Can we just do the sprinkly thing? Doesn't the church down the street do the sprinkly thing? Yeah, yeah. They're getting wet. We're doing baptism, right? Why is it so important? Because we're showing a picture of when Jesus died, I died with Him. When He was in the grave, He didn't stay there. Aren't you so glad that your pastor believes in the resurrection? Otherwise, some of us, we'd go into the water and we would not come out. That would, that would be a problem. And so because we believe in the resurrection, the image, the picture, is that you come out of the water in baptism and the water doesn't save you. Jesus saved you before you got in the water. But when you get in the water, you're telling everybody, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Baptism is proclamation and profession that I know who I am. I know what's happened to me. And I am starting something new. I am starting to profess to the church, my family first, but then I'm going to profess to everybody else. I'm going to tell them what happened to me. I'm going to share my testimony. So hear this. Every Christian, if you are a believer, you were born twice. The first time, you were born physically. The second, spiritually. But it gets better. Everybody ready? You were born into a family twice. The first time you were born, hopefully you had a mother. I don't know how you got here if you ain't got a mama. All right, we got to talk. I got to hear that story. You were born into a family, even if it was a really dysfunctional family and you were switched at birth. Whatever your story is, there was still a family involved in some regard. But do you know what happened when you became a Christian? You weren't just reborn to new life. You were born and baptized into the church. That's what God tells us. You were baptized into the body. You were baptized spiritually into a spiritual family. You weren't just baptized to go it alone. You were baptized as an image of you're now exiting your old tribe. You're now part of a new tribe. You used to be part of that crowd and now these are your people. There's something awesome about one baptism that we get it right. It's not for salvation. The sprinkling doesn't work. The dunking doesn't cleanse you from sin. It's a portrait, a picture, an image, an illustration of the Gospel. And you get to do that and say, this is just the beginning. This is just the starting point of walking with Him together as a family. Awesome. So the question that you have to ask is, have I been baptized? If you have not been baptized, then what are we waiting for? Why aren't we talking? I am always surprised that people have been in churches for decades and decades, and I just hope nobody asks me the question about baptism. Just as soon as we talk about baptism, don't make eye contact. Look away. If you have not been baptized as a believer, not as a baby or an infant, I know this for a fact. I'm not even a mind reader. I just know this. If you were sprinkled like I was after a couple months or a couple weeks, you got wet. Something different has to happen. You have to actually be not a grown adult. You can be a child. You can be four years old and truly repent and confess that Jesus is your King and your Rescuer. But you have to make that personal decision and then you get baptized. 
If you were a teenager and you were forced and the church wanted some big numbers to send in to home base to say, we baptize this many people, keep going, keep going, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. They're like, shh, dunk. That's a problem, right? So if you say, years ago, somebody dunked me and I have no idea why, it's time to say, I now know what I believe and I'm ready to go public with knowledge and understanding. Okay, Not under pressure or manipulated. Baptism. There's one baptism. Lastly, number seven. Somebody say, land the plane. Here we go. We're landing. We worship one God. Amen? Amen? We worship one God. Verse four and five. Let's wrap it up. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse six. One God and Father of all who's over all, and through all, and in all. There is one God. I just, I, I'm so burdened for us to not be deceived. Not all paths lead to heaven. Not all churches claiming to be God's people are real churches. Not every Bible that is written is actually the Word of God. There's so much deception and deceit. Are we acting like we're, we're the only church? That like we're the only ones that get it? No, we're not alone. There's a lot of healthy Bible-believing churches. If you don't want to commit here, we would say commit somewhere. If you don't want to submit to the leadership of our church, find leaders that you joyfully submit to and follow. Find it. Find it. But it better be the worship of one God, the teaching of the one true God. We are not the only ones, but we would say, We're sticking to the Bible. We're not going to be swayed. We're not going to be influenced by open-ended ideas about who God is. It doesn't matter what I feel God is. It doesn't matter what type of God I desire to serve. If you just read God's words, are you coming to conclusions about accuracy of who God is? He is a Father. He is not a higher being. I know for some of us in the room, I went through AA more times then I care to admit and NA, okay? Somebody say, y'all, you got problems, all right? You can say it, you can say it. I, I know, I know, I know. And by God's grace, I'm not there anymore. I'm not there anymore, right? But there's something about walking into a room that feels unifying of as long as you believe in a higher being. Who's your higher power? The shrub in the corner is my higher power. Uh, you're an idiot. Get out of the circle, Okay. There is one God, okay? You don't get to choose your higher power. There's one higher power. You don't get to make it up. This isn't a fun game of you picking and choosing. We're kind of passionate about getting this answer right. Who is God? And if you get that answer wrong, it doesn't matter what else you do after it. There is one God, one Father. If He is not your Father, then the reality is you're in rebellion to God. You're running away from Him. If He is not Papa, if He's not Abba, if you have not been adopted into the family, you're not okay with God and He's not okay with you. We are born enemies. We are against each other. He hates sin and I hate rules. And so we're, we're not buddies. We're not together in this. But until God adopts you and brings you in because it's by faith, you're trusting that Jesus is who He says He is. You believe that He died and rose again. You have confidence that He alone forgives and that you've asked for His forgiveness. Past, present, future sin. 
that you're cleansed, complete. God brings you into the family and now you have a relationship with Him. Gone are the days that you say, well, I, I know you have a relationship with God. Like you and God, you're really close. But me, we just got to clarify, every believer that's brought into the family has the same access, same type of relationship that you're capable of knowing Him and He longs to be known. Do you know Him as Dad? Do you know Him as Father? Even if your family was utterly dysfunctional and you have daddy issues, and we all do to various degrees, you are never going to have daddy issues with God the Father because He's perfect. He is nothing like your earthly father. He has never failed you and He never will. Do you know Him? Here's the question. As the worship team comes up, are you adoring God as Father? God's not distant. He's not a distant deity. But He's a loving Father. Would you choose this week, would you choose to walk through an attitude of cultivating a personal relationship with Him if you have not done that? Today, would you start that relationship if you have been hesitant? How do we turn good things into even God things? Could, yeah, could, could we, could we uh, produce some bumper stickers and, and do a fundraiser with that? Most of the things that we elevate to God's status are not the really nasty stuff, right? Most of us in our minds, we have like the dirty dozen and the nasty nine, right? And the sinister seven. We have the list of like, we don't do that. But guess what? God's not impressed with your list. And some of your list might actually show up in the Bible. But here's the reality. The most unsuspecting dangers in your life are you making good things god things and what do we mean by that we mean we take things that seem so innocent and it even seems right for us to live for and sacrifice for and love and appreciate and we elevate them beyond their status and we can do that with a girlfriend a fiance a spouse we can do that with children and grandchildren we can do that with a job a vehicle a house any possession we go from i would desire that i want that and then pretty soon it's i need that to be happy and if i don't get what i want i'm willing to sin to get it to keep it and to not lose it somebody say that's a problem I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make other people's life miserable because I need them to be for me what they were never intended. We get in trouble when we make even good things like work a God thing because we can't even figure out who we are apart from our vocation, apart from our job, apart from our career, that we feel lost without it. And so is the answer, quit your job? No. The answer is keep God first and foremost. He's above all. I'm putting my hope in Him. I'm trusting in Him. I'm trusting that He's going to allow me to experience good things and to keep my relationships in the place that they belong. I don't know where you're at, but it's really hard to keep good things in their proper place. I wonder if we would just look through our notes, even ask some of those questions. Maybe they could just strum just for, for a little bit and just give us, give us a minute. Give us a minute to look through these questions and just ask, God, where am I not embracing unity? Where am I not living by the Spirit? Where am I not holding on to hope or submitting to King Jesus? God, where am I not growing in my faith? Where, where am I not remembering my baptism 
or adoring you, failing to adore you as Father. Maybe one of these this morning would have just triggered something inside of you of, i got to get this right. I haven't been, but today I will. I have been stumbling along, and I've been tripping up, and I've been failing, but today, God wants to hit reset. He wants to forgive and send me into the week different, changed, focused. So would you get specific just over the next minute or so? Would you allow God to just inspect your heart, just do business with Him?